Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. And welcome to another episode of Super Fan Chats, the show where we recap episodes, posit our fan theories, and generally nerd out over no small roles. Yeah, yeah. Today, we are going to be recapping and discussing episodes 29 to 32. So if you haven't listened to them, we can catch you up. But if you want to avoid spoilers because you actually want to listen to the episodes, maybe hang fire on listening to us chat all about them in this <laughs> Super Fan Chat. <laughs> Hit pause, come back later. Yeah, exactly. Joining me today are superfan sam hello and superfan pippa oh hey um guys how does it feel to finally be caught up on no small roles it's weird isn't it i, yeah. I feel like we're always backpedaling and being like not able to discuss our theories and now we can <laughs> yeah yeah it's nice not to have to double check ourselves anymore yeah and i think the cast are recording at the same time as we are right now so <gasps> oh that's exciting i think actually right now mm-hmm. yeah they're recording today okay theories what's happening right now then <laughs> a natural 20 june is making tea <laughs> I think Gwendolyn is finally marrying Enkidu. Uh, I think they've had like a few episodes to get over that whole stigma. <laughs> Orin has a bunch of hands in his backpack, maybe. Could be, could be. <laughs> and Aggie and Ruana have taken over. Amazing. <gasps> They're the new leaders. They are the new leaders. Goose revolution. Of the goose pack. What do you call a bunch of geese? A gaggle? Are they now a gaggle of geese? Ooh, is that a thing? Yeah. I, I want to say yes. I don't know. I have a gander. Hey. Oh, sorry. One. So I think bad. today is going to be <laughs> quite a pun-filled episode of Superfan Chats. I have a feeling. Oh, don't worry. They'll be harmless. <laughs> He's on it. He's on it with the jokes today. Do you know what? It's too early in the morning for jokes. Maybe we should get to grips with our first recap. Hey. <laughs> yes, uh, I will take this one. I feel very, very fortunate to do both Jeremy Cobb episodes. And this one is episode 29, Battle Down the Hatches. Uh, so we start off with a bang. David amazingly revamps the theme tune with a hurdy-gurdy. It's beautiful. Love listening to it again. We start off the episode as we finish the last one with Arthur setting off this explosion of elemental batteries that congeal into one massive lightning, air, fire elemental. Enkidu, at the beginning of this fight, flies Myra up to the top of the mast on this boat, the chug-along, while the others kind of are down there attacking with whatever they have. And it's a really, really cool fight. There's some amazing fighting techniques that come out from literally everyone. Uh, love listening to this fight again. It was so good. So go and listen to it if you haven't listened to it. And go and listen to it again if you have, because it's pure we get like all of Dwayne's exotic animals that are rushing in to defend Gwendolyn and you've got Gaius at the back of the boat protecting Bessie and then you know Hallie's kind of like kicking the ship into high gear so there's a lot of people in this fight we've got this massive elemental that is just supremely powerful and just spews this inferno out on everyone instantly cooking Reggie no, and Reggie. damaging pretty much the entire party Gwendolyn is able to like run in there and she's she's got her uh, stunning strikes now so she's trying to punch this thing and and keep it stunned that was super useful it was so good but the downside is by getting close everyone was taking damage from the aura of this thing giving off fire damage yeah just too much heat radiating off it um you've got Bessie who's startled at the back and like keeps knocking into Gaius and pushing him over this thing is doing like flame damage as it moves through people as well this was like racking up the damage points the whole way through this fight 
the, the problem is it kind of moves through everyone, picks up this crate of elemental batteries, smashes them down, grows in size again. And the next person to have a turn is Orin. Oh, Orin. Oh, Orin. Who is like, oh, I'm not going to use fire on this thing because it's fire, so I'll use a lightning-based spell uh, and use a shocking grasp. Which you, you can hear, like, David's glee as soon as he starts doing it. Please do. So it triples in size, effectively, in the space of two turns. We've got Enkidu, like, panicking, and he bamps out of there with Thunderstep because he gets really low on hit points. But unfortunately, the blast radius of that is enough to damage his friends and kind of kills Bessie. No, uh, Bessie? Chris punishes himself by saying that Bessie, like, flies back on top of Gaius, knocking him to the ground. Just brutal. Uh, I, I just can't believe Bessie, the party's beloved horse, is gone. I know. Uh, anyway... They, uh, they finally managed to take this creature down, though. It's a long fight, but they finally managed to do it. Um, and it, in doing so, it lets out one massive explosion, which just kind of like nearly takes other people down. I think it takes Enkidu down and he bounces back up yeah. due to Hexblade's curse because this creature dying. But everyone is looking damaged. Obviously, we've got a dead Bessie. But fortunately, they have like a little scan around and the ship doesn't seem to be like there's no particular damage to the hull. It's more the like contents of everything below deck have been singed and destroyed beyond repair. They patch up their hurt. Everybody heals each other. There's so much healing being spread around. And they kind of turn to Hallie, who at this point is terrified and furious and demanding answers. And it's actually at this point that Dwayne is also pressured to tell the truth of his circumstances. Due to the suggestion spell by Gaius, really good use of that, we finally get this backstory drop from the elusive bard. Uh, so we find out that Arthur, the one that's stalking him, was his first love, who died tragically and blames Dwayne for what happened, and now pursues him as a revenant to keep him from finding love again. And whose revenant yeah. theory was I know. bang on. Spot on, right? Called it, totally <laughs> nailed it. But we kind of we finish this episode with one more glimpse at the Revenant because Dwayne, like having this spiel and being like, the reason I left you was to protect you from Art. Uh, he kind of looks out. Art isn't on the boat, but he does see him on the horizon. And Dwayne, to kind of protect Gwendolyn, gives this really passionate apology, declares his undying love for her and that it was genuine, and then dives off the boat. And there's this massive crash of lightning as Dwayne flies off into the distance which we have an answer for in the next episode. But that's where it leaves us for now. So that's all I'm going to say. Brilliant episode, right? Oh my God. It was so action-packed. Chaos, but so absolutely fantastic. I have to say, I feel so much for Daryl as a fellow vegetarian being the one to mm. unfortunately kill the horse. Yeah. I mean, as an animal lover, oh, it was a gut punch. Wasn't he choosing to, to kind of try and save Wingthrop yeah. in the process? Exactly. So he had to make that split second decision and just unfortunately perhaps picked the wrong creature to save. Don't they say in the episode as well that um, the animals in the bag regenerate at dawn every day? Yeah, they do. But I mean, Enkidu, Daryl wouldn't necessarily know that. So That's I think you know, it just kind of played to Enkidu's strengths. And yeah. like, I, I don't know, I feel like Bessie was going to go down in this fight regardless because of the heat emanating off sure and chris did a really good job of playing bessie faithfully like you know she's a horse yes so mm. i can't control her and just be like well bessie runs over there and is out of yeah out of the fight yeah leaving it to chance was the right thing yeah and i mean it really punished him as well like he got knocked down twice mm. crushed by bessie as well you know while he was trying to protect her so mm -hmm. it's a very honest very unmeta way yeah. of playing the two of them I think this is where No Small Roles, for me at least, differs from quite a lot of D&D &D playing, is that these guys really play to the story rather than because yeah. they want to win. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's so great to listen to, because even if they choose to do things that ultimately are quite self-punishing, what it does is ramp up the emotional tension and your investment in the characters. And it's just so great that they don't try and, like you say, metagame and kind of like sneak out of it. They actually do what they think would actually happen. Yeah, yeah they're super faithful to character. Like we, we've all been there when we're playing a game and we're like, oh, actually my character would do this, but that is going to ruin everything for everybody else. So I'll invent a reason not to do it. Whereas they're very much like, I'm going to go do this because my character would do this. And then yeah. David gets the glee of following that through with chaos. And it's why these characters are so sort of three-dimensional and just so believable. Yeah. That's mm. such a huge part of it. Absolutely. You said uh, about it being action-packed. I've actually written down the initiative order. <laughs> There's just so many creatures in this fight. We have Orin and Aggie, the teapot. 
Enkidu, Gwendolyn, Dwayne, Juna, Bessie, Gaius, Myra, Eloise the Giant Weasel with the lovely eyelashes, Winthrop the Tiger, Hallie, Reggie the Chocobo, Ruana the Goose, and the Elemental. I mean, that's a lot. It's crazy. And so many of them were ties as well. <laughs> like listening back to the episodes. Oh, I'm tied with, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, tied yeah, with yeah. this person who has the higher dexterity. Yeah. It's so good. That must have been such a nightmare to DM. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine keeping track of all of that? Yeah. Well, a normal fight in D&D, you know, a round can last you, depending on how many people you've got, three quarters of an hour to an hour. Could you imagine it with this many creatures? Just like, okay, they move there and they move there and they move there. Oh, my word. <laughs> so intense. How many hit points have people got again? The thing that I kind of really went away and went, oh, yeah, that was a, a good shout was putting Myra at the top of the mast. Um, yep. Because she's obviously very, very important. Could you imagine if she had been killed in this fight? what would have gone on as they'd got to the other side and gone off into the forest Ooh. and things. But I think it would have been much more of a, we've got to resurrect this child mission. Yeah, yeah very much rather so. Rather than we've got to help this child. But also a less benevolent DM might have been rolling her some acrobatic checks to make sure that she stayed on this mast. Oh, that's true. Mm. Yeah. I did. I did wonder. He just kind of allowed it and it just happened and she just sat up there and she was nice and safe. But yeah, I did wonder. I suppose he had enough to keep track of. This is true. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's very true. And if they're all being punished down below, maybe he didn't want to punish the NPC up above as well. But yeah, yeah on the first, first listen, I was like, uh, it kind of sounds like she's in a crow's nest. But no, she's just up at the top of a mast. Literally just on the little kind of, yeah, T-section. But she's fine. And she probably has some kind of contraption, like, oh, I'll just use my <laughs> my wood magnet boots or something. Love it. That's a new thing. As we all know. Yeah, like a go-go gadget gripping arm. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but we all kind of we all kind of grumbled when I went over it in the the recap there because it is the second time that Orin has done this. Uh, no no shame on you, Ben. I think it was you were looking for your spells for something that would be effective, and I think it just slipped your mind in that moment. Yeah, it was more the he was using it to drop the reactions to get away, but it kind of came from Orin was the first one up, and the first thing he did was investigate this creature to find out its elemental makeup. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the main thing that they said was like, it's mainly lightning. Yeah. There's fire, there's air, but it is mainly lightning. So I kind of like, it was a bit of a weird choice in that moment to do that again. A weird choice, a mistake, or is Orin secretly the big bad of the whole campaign? Oh my God. <gasps> and subtly trying to sabotage everyone. Undercover agent. Oh, don't say that. I love Orin. I know. <laughs> I love Orin as well. I'm just uh, staring. I'm just staring. Oh God. Does that mean Aggie's evil as well by proxy? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> That's not a real prediction. No. That's a just-in-case prediction. Yeah. I'd just like to be able to... If that does happen, I'd like to be able to say I told you so, but... <laughs> you know that David listens to these things, so he's like, okay, yeah, cool. Oh, no. Your wish is my <laughs> Sorry, command. I'm taking Orin now. Yeah. yeah. Orin was in the mirrors. No, just now. <laughs> Don't even... Do we have anything to say about Dwayne's backstory? Or should we leave that for the next one? Um... um I mean, I love that there was this, uh, like, you know, this backstory dump yeah. from him. You know, to just kind of like, I think they'd already decided that they were doing two episodes. And we spoke about this in No Small Questions as well. Mm -hmm. Jeremy was saying that he couldn't find like, okay, how do I leave this situation? So if anything, it was so good for him to be like, no, you know what? Now they know everything about me. So there's that. And Arthur is still there. That is the perfect excuse for me to go. I just don't know whether they, how much of the next part, the thing that they figure out at the beginning of the next episode, mm -hmm. how much of that was in that character creation conversation. Like, where do you come up with that? Anyway, we'll get to that. <laughs> mm, yeah, I think it was a really amazing move on Gaius's part to cast Suggestion yeah. and try and yeah. get it out of him. Because otherwise, how would you know? Because mm -hmm. he's such an accomplished and charismatic liar. He could literally say anything yeah. and mm -hmm. people would swallow it. And he could be like, yeah, it is the ghost cow. I've got to leave because the ghost cow. <laughs> That's the thing, it, right? Look what it did. <laughs> yeah, because they've obviously had experience in, in the previous episode of him rolling so high on his deceptions and on his persuasions. You know, you're not going to get the truth out of him that way. So really that kind of suggestion ring was the only way they would have got the truth out yeah. of him. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is like, I believe suggestion is like, it is that person's action to do the thing that's been suggested. So it's, if you think about it in like mechanical 
combat terms, it's six seconds. So at some point in that story, Dwayne could have chosen to not carry on. Ooh. But it's like once those floodgates had been opened, you know, they, they say that talking through your problems and actually being honest is like a healing process, right? I'm sure you probably cover this, Anna. Um, is it? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, once he started speaking, it was almost like he wanted to then like, uh, no, actually, they've earned this. I owe this to Gwendolyn to be honest and let her know that it was never actually her. Mm-hmm. It's this whole thing. And then there, there's a weird thing that he says about art being caught in his breath. Mm. But what was so good about that moment is that we had the previous episode to be like, okay, we've got this idea of who Dwayne is. And now, like, we we get to see why people love him so much. And we fell in love with him as well. What was great about this episode was we were all like, okay, we kind of love Dwayne now. We don't mind that he's a bit mischievous. And then find out that it wasn't actually his choice at all. There are really serious factors, serious things in play that mean that he can't be with Gwendolyn. That, for me, was like mind-blown moment of this is actually a really, really good guy. Just caught in an impossible situation. Maybe I'm on a real suspicious bent this morning, (laughs) but you say that suggestion lasts about six seconds. Somewhere in that story, did he flip a switch without us like questioning it because of the suggestion spell? And did he start lying again? I don't think he did necessarily, but it's Dwayne, you can never know. It is a possibility. Exactly. Yeah, I would say for most players, they probably wouldn't think about that. But I know that Jeremy, he is the player's handbook. D&D guru. So he probably does know that. And he's clever enough that he could have made that choice after six seconds if he wanted to. Well, and also I'm just really wondering, based on the information we get in the following episode, Mm -hmm. I have some theories. I have some theories (laughs) and... I really want to be able to talk about them. <laughs> shall, I, shall I rock on and we'll do episode 30 then? Go for it. Yeah, go on. Okay, so episode 30 is called In the Wake. This was an amazing episode. It was just full of everything. It was moving. It was hilarious. It progressed the plot. It was, yeah, a really, really strong episode. So we, we kind of kick off in the aftermath of this Elemental's attack and the party are like picking up the pieces You've got Gwendolyn, obviously, bereft at Dwayne's disappearance. You've got Gaius is obviously very upset about Bessie, as are the rest of them. And yeah, they kind of start off with this big discussion about how Dwayne left. There's Juna and Orin and Gwen discussing what they saw. Juna thinks that she saw maybe some kind of large beast with wings and a tail (laughs) and scales. Orin's obviously got a bit more knowledge. He's read a few more books. And yeah, they deduce that Dwayne turned into a dragon. What? Which is like this, yeah, epic, epic bombshell. It's like even once Dwayne's gone, he's still kind of rocking the story. So that's a big deal. There's a big discussion about this and what it means. Gaius, meanwhile, within Kidu, they've gone kind of below deck and Gaius has covered up Bessie's body with tarpaulin, sings her a little song. A little bit later, Orin and Juna pinch two of the batteries oh, as well. Yeah. So they just kind of sneak below deck and there's a funny moment of them <laughs> behaving like naughty school children again and pinch these batteries and just check that they're not going to explode as they chuck them in the caddy individually. And yeah, we'll see how that goes later. Mm-hmm. But they've now got two intact batteries to play with. So that's cool. They all kind of gather together and they have a like a discussion about how much the, the cargo that's now destroyed, how much that's been worth. And Halley estimates that it's about a thousand gold pieces worth of damage. So they have a big discussion about whether they're going to kind of make amends for this. Gwen offers to contact her father. So that's quite an interesting thing. They decide to not go down that route initially. They have a big pooling their resources kind of moment and they add up all their gold. They, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know what's coming. There's this brilliant moment and David has scored it as well. And it just, oh, the deception, guys, where where Gaius is, is you know, gritting his fists and can't believe that he's about to, to say what he's about to say and is going, I've got the money and everyone is completely fooled by this. Turns out to just be an administrative error on Chris's oh part. God. Doesn't have over a thousand gold. He's got 147. So funny. Oh I loved it. I loved it. It was brilliant. <laughs> So I've got the thousand gold. Yeah, <laughs> do you oh, know? Man. Do you really? Oh, yeah, do you actually? You might want to check your pockets, mate. That was brilliant. Just the moment when the music stops. Yep. When, I think it's when Daryl's like, wait, we only got 140. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
actually the the whole score finishes wait what (laughs) yeah it's perfect absolutely perfect i love it i love that they keep these moments in yeah, like the one on the, the previous episode about the, the natural 20. Oh, gosh, yes. I made a note so to talk about good. that as well. That was hilarious. <laughs> that was so funny. But yeah, they decide to pull their resources. So they add up their gold and then plus the pearl necklace that Orin has been given via Deacon. They reckon that's worth at least 500 gold plus the carpets. They kind of pool it and they think, yeah, this might just about cover it. So they, they end up giving that to Hallie as a kind of way of recompensing her, but also kind of buying her silence because they've already told her that actually Jenny is not Jenny. Jenny is Myra. Myra is a wing up, etc. Um, we also have oh, such a lovely moment with Bessie buried at sea. We have the Bessie funeral and we've got Gwen's beautiful song, so which I love it. I've been back to it. I just keep rewinding to that little section just to keep listening to her song because it's so beautiful. And we get Juna's Griffin Paladin story as well. So more story time with Juna, mm. which is great. Um Eventually, after they've given Bessie her her send-off, they disembark at Drostad and walk through the town, arrive at Ferrisine's house, notice a statue in a courtyard. Myra shouts out, Ferrisine, Ferrisine, where are you? And they have a a good old catch-up in the kitchen. Ferrisine has also noticed there's some, some odd things going on. She's noticed that people kind of feel stiffer, which might well be related to the things that Myra's noticed about her parents as well. Ferrisine invites Orin to have a little look at her workshop and she shows him the prosthetic hands. There are four of them in a box. She's kind of interested to show him and get his opinion on these because she's a bit confused by them. They're not powered by the elementals anymore. They're these new prototypes and she can't work out how they work. Orin uses his goggles on them and he detects three schools of magic. So he detects some abjuration, some enchantment and some conjuration as well. And he takes his his tools and has a little look, tries to kind of open up the hand inside. As he does so, he's still got his goggles on. The hand grabs the tool and he notices this fourth school, the Conjuration School of Magic, appears as well. As he tries to retrieve the tool, all of the hands activate and they start to attack, start to leap towards him. Brilliant end to this episode. It was amazing. It was so creepy. I actually got chills down my spine at the thought of all these prosthetic arms just standing on their hands about to leap towards Orin. I was like, oh, that's horrifying. Mannequin arms that have come to life. (laughs) Yeah. And this episode kind of had everything, really, because it had the the real feels with Bessie. Mm -hmm. Uh, It had them having to, you know, try and like literally pool all of their resources to to get out of this situation that they created for themselves. Yet all that stuff with Dwayne and figuring out that there's a dragon involved yeah. and then you've got a new town, new thing, creepy ending. It was the full package. It was chocker. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Really, really good. And it could have been an episode maybe after a guest player has left is always going to be quite difficult to kind of reestablish that dynamic. And especially when you've lost, you know, effectively Bessie was a member of the party. I know she's obviously not a played character, but that was a big, big deal as well. And you've got to deal with the aftermath of that. And I think they judged it really well about not losing the emotion, but also there was a lot of humour in it and there was a lot of progress. Yeah, it was it was great. It was fantastic. And I think we've said it before, but Bessie has lasted a lot longer than any other D&D horse. Oh, yeah. Ever. <laughs> She's a super horse. But did that not just make us more attached to her? Yeah, because totally. Because yeah. I've got... I'm very used to Bessie being around and particularly like the Gaius-Bessie relationship. Bessie being forgotten about. Yeah, you know, or Gaius being the only one that actually remembers her. It's like yeah. she's some kind of like rogue horse. Um, t- to get 30 episodes or nearly to 30 episodes in yeah. with Bessie there. Good girl. Uh, to the point where they were discussing a Where's Bessie t-shirts. Yeah. To then have her kind of like taken from us. But I love that they gave her such, like, the same kind of send-off that they would for a player character Absolutely, dying. yeah. It's a fitting ending for uh, her, yeah. definitely. It was so great. But yeah, the, the song. Yeah. Uh, and the story as well. More Juna stories, please. Mm. Yeah, I love it. We need a book. Yep. Illustrated <laughs> book of Juna stories. It'd be great. Oh, my god. With the audio book narrated by Vicky. Yes, please. <gasps> let's, let's ask them if they'll do that. Maybe that could be, like, a super Patreon tier. That would be cool. I'd pay for that. Christmas presents for Patreon. Christmas yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can we talk about Dwayne potentially being a dragon I think yeah. we should. because yeah. well you know from our text conversations that I am obsessed with dragons mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know how much you guys know about dragons in D&D lore I feel like you're probably the full knowledge but I know some things, I <laughs> I know some say, things. I've, I've, I've read since a little bit but oh, yeah cool. do um do spill okay so I was trying to figure out what kind of dragon Dwayne might be because in D&D there are two 
overall types of dragons. Mm -hmm. There's chromatic dragons, which are red, white, blue, green, and black. Okay. And then there are the metallic dragons, which are bronze, brass, copper, silver, gold. And then there's the platinum dragon, god, Bahamut. Bahamut. And the evil chromatic dragon, goddess, Tiamat. So chromatic dragons are evil Mm -hmm. and metallic dragons are usually good. Mm -hmm. But... Dwayne's colour scheme is blue. Yeah. And blue dragons are lightning dragons. Okay. But that would mean he was evil. Yeah. Did Was he a blue... Like, did people see that he was a blue dragon? So, I can't yeah, remember. The, it, blue scales are definitely mentioned. Yeah. yeah. This okay. Is, this is one thing that resonated with me as well, because, I was, you know, the blue is the theme. It makes sense for Dwayne to be a blue dragon because he has blue hair mm-hmm. and, you know, blue moustache and blue features has been something that Gwen has talked about since the beginning. Yeah. So I don't know whether it was just that choice. And um, I'm, I'm kind of going off kilter a little bit here to say that in Three Black Halflings, one of the things that they often talk about is diversity within gaming, you know, not specifying like, you know, drow don't have to be evil, for example, sure. because, you know, they're, they're dark elves. It doesn't mean that yeah. they have to be evil. And I wonder whether that is part of the conversation here that you can subverting your expectations yeah you know shades of blue i wonder though because i can see why that would apply to like humanoid creatures particularly in the context of discussions around race Mm -hmm. and like the ideas that are being like an evil race but like dragons are technically monsters Mm. like they're in the monster manual Mm -hmm. which is slightly like how much do you mess with monsters being good and evil in that sense it's kind Mm. of absolute isn't it i don't know just because they're so attached to like tiamat the evil dragon goddess has five different heads each a different color okay so i don't know it's just really i feel like it would be really difficult to divorce that from the law or he's like a rogue blue dragon that was like no i'm not going to be evil i'm going to be good and go against dragon kind in many ways that kind of sounds quite dwayne also it does, yeah if he can polymorph into a human that means he is an old dragon yeah is it 300 plus yeah 300 at least years? at least like i think adult dragons and ancient dragons are the ones that can polymorph into humans which is definitely hundreds of years old like older than juna old 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 so this is something that needs addressing as well is is when did arthur die like how long has Dwayne been in halfling form and also this does kind of tie in like could have been a half elf at one point and gwendolyn's forgotten mm-hmm. and he's now come back <laughs> as a halfling right because he way can that... polymorph as yeah, anything exactly like any he could kind just be of like, humanoid sure. she knows that it's Dwayne, and it's like oh you're shorter than i expected yeah. that could be canon yeah um but the thing about revenants, and this is why I think it, it must be some kind of version of a revenant or super powerful, potentially Arthur was himself a dragon at one point, potentially, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But normally revenants chase somebody for a year. And if they don't fulfill their purposes within that year, they disappear. But that also means that they are trying to kill that person. Mm-hmm. Whereas Arthur seems to be attacking Dwayne's love life. Um, for the rest of his days. How long has this been going on? Is Arthur following him when he's in dragon form? Like, these are questions that I think need answering. Um, But I wondered if you had any theories on them. All I'm going to say is, because I don't know, I think I might be the only one who's listened to it and I'm not I'm not going to go into the theories because, you know, if you want to, you've got to be a Patreon and sign up. Did you listen but to there the... Is, I have, Jeremy... I have, oh, but okay. I don't know whether you guys have, so I'm not no, going to go... Yet, no. I'm not going <laughs> to go there it. because there are there are answers. That's all I'm going to say. Is that one? Is that one just for the Patreons? Yeah. Oh, that's so there cool. Are, there are answers to these questions, but... Wait, the ones about the ones about the dragon. The ones kind about as well? the color. The ones about the dragon. The ones about his age. Obviously, it was them kind of working through their suggestions. So maybe some of it they ended up tweaking nearer the time. But yeah, answers about you know Arthur and more details about how he died. So yeah, check it out at some point. It was brilliant. Okay. Sorry guys, we're yeah. gonna have to cut this super fan chat short. So I can just <laughs> yeah, gotta go. Gotta go listen to it right now and come back. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> so yeah, that's all I'm gonna say. But maybe maybe we stick a pin in this and we we talk about yeah, it okay. at some how, point. How close am I on my dragon theories? <laughs> oh no 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 yeah you'll yes. you'll you'll yeah. Hours there's... of reading the monster manual pays off. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I can't go there without saying, but yeah, the way they've kind of stacked it and stuff. Yeah, it's, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I knew my dragon knowledge would come in handy at some point. I knew it. Again, I've been meaning to listen to that. Not mm-hmm. in any other oh, context. Yeah. Oh, this is so cool. <laughs> I've been meaning to listen to to that, you know, but again, it was like, I wanted to do this first, you know, talk about the theories before I listen to cast theories and, you know, the, the character building thing. Yeah. So that was an influence. But now I want to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's really hard to be objective, isn't it? Mm. Is that Patreon exclusive? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. I think it's okay, teacup cool. and above. Uh, I think I can apply for that. Oh, I think you're okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exciting stuff. This episode, it left me with so many questions to ask as well. Like I have a little list of questions, which I know we shouldn't run on and spend a load of time on them. But I have questions like just kind of things going forward, like repercussions for the fact that the group basically have no gold now. Yep. That's going to be a problem. Orin had his eye on that necklace for more inventions. Would there have been another way of paying Hallie? Did they have to give her everything? You know, mm. Orin had that thing about, oh, Myra, I could just make you invisible, which they didn't really get to talk about. That might have been a possibility. We don't know whether Hallie is actually gonna keep Strum. Yeah. You know, we don't know. It was a small town. Yeah, I've thought that. She, she probably knows everybody in that town and, you know, loose lips, sink ships, etc. No, it's still afloat. Also. Yeah, yeah, just about, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, so here much. Comes. Also, the bit where she's like, oh, did everything get destroyed? And Orin and Juno are like, yep, mm-hmm. nothing left. Yeah. All gone, knowing full but well they've, they've got, got two, two very expensive batteries that yeah. they've nicked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Terrible, terrible. Also that they stuffed into the tea caddy of holding, and there, there was like a big part with me that's like, how do these elemental batteries work? Like, do the elementals, is the, you know, cleverly contracted capsules that, mm-hmm. like, take the energy in somewhere? Or are they similar to some kind of holding mechanism? And there are rules within the player's handbook. Like, you put one bag of holding in another bag of holding, they both explode. Yep. So there was, there was a huge risk to that. There's also what they covered before, where they know that if they put Ruana in there, yep. Ruana wouldn't be able to breathe after a minute. I don't know whether, like, these elementals need some kind of I, I don't know um I guess we'll but I find found out it, I found it quite quite a risky uh thing to do testing the quantum mechanics yeah. of pocket dimensions yeah. what do we it do it would with be these? pretty harsh of David to just be like uh okay that tea caddy of holding that you love so much has exploded yeah uh, <laughs> but I also wouldn't put it past him Mm. I mean, he did kind of back them into a corner into giving up almost their entire monies collectively as a group yeah, yeah. because of the way that went down. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't really an opportunity for them to prevent that from happening no. that I could see anyway. Mm-mm. Unless Dwayne <laughs> stopped lying about the ghost cow. But... Oh, the ghost cow. Yeah. But yeah, good, 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 good episode. Love Such it. Such a great episode. So good. And obviously we've now got the, we've now made it to the workshop and we're, we're kind of seeing, you know, Orin in his element. Um, the statue outside yep. kind of weird they mention it being faceless which for me was like oh faceless footman they kind of talk about you said like therosine is like oh no they're cold and they're stiff like how did it feel to hug your parents mm-hmm. and then leads on to this whole thing about the prosthetics which was kind of like it's weird that therosine has already made that observation like okay these people are being weird and we've got these prosthetics yeah but then when questioned about it is really like light about it oh it's like oh yeah you know i don't really understand it mm. because they don't run on batteries which is what everything that we've had so far has run on batteries yeah mm. To her, it's just a curiosity, isn't it? It's like, oh, well, it's it's not a battery. It's not what I'm interested in and what I, I use with my inventing and stuff mm. until they come to life. And finding out that it's not elemental magic anymore. It's actually things like conjuration. Schools of magic, yeah. And yeah, yeah. or I'm getting real bad Kral vibes again. I mean... But like it may be yeah. a different... Yeah, a different big You know, bad. one of the... Exactly. <laughs> so like Kral's sort of divination necromancy. Now we've got some conjuration, abjuration, evocation, scariness going on. Uh, it it yeah. feels, the power level feels comparable. Yeah. And the sinister level also feels comparable. Sure. But I mean, I don't I don't know whether you had this when the word conjuration popped up. Because, you know, Orin's like poking around at the palm and there's conjuration magic in there. Instantly, my head was alarm bells because we know of another spell that our party members have that is hand-based, that is conjuration. Uh, Mage hand. Ooh. So, Mm. you know, the fact that these things don't have elemental batteries, does that mean that the conjuration magic is tied to an individual or an organization that are able to activate these things at will from long range? Well, and that's something in the episode that I've got to recap. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Enkidu spots. Yeah. So we left the previous episode where these arms were about to attack Orin. The the forearm, the four there are four arms four four the, arms the, the, four, four, the four four arms the four army four army hey. four army <laughs> <laughs> so because it's just gwen orin and therisine and ruana and aggie in the workshop 
they are kind of dealing with this sudden threat by themselves. And Theracene keeps telling them, don't break them, don't damage them, I've got to give them back. Which means Orin and Gwen are slightly hamstrung by it, so they can't actually damage the arms. So there is a fight with these arms where they do try to avoid damaging them. And Ruana does alert Juna, who is with Enkidu and Gaius in the kitchen making dinner. Enkidu is cleaning everything because we've discovered (laughs) that Enkidu (laughs) is an absolute neat freak, uh, which is new. And why he has prestidigitation is one of his mandrips. It makes so much sense. Um, Ruan and Aggie with two geese with goggles in the workshop trying to join in. The strategy that Orin and actually Gwen decides would be a good strategy is to try and find boxes to drop over the top of the arms to prevent them from moving anywhere. Theracene runs around. She's trying to build something. Nobody's quite sure what because it takes her a few rounds to do it. Um, eventually, Juna and Kidu and Gaius arrive to the workshop because Ruana has alerted Juna that something's going on, but not, obviously, there's not like a verbal communication between them. It's more of a sense. They try, again, to keep trapping these arms. It's not quite working. One of them's got a really good grip on Orin. And eventually, Theracene makes an anti-magic field and powers everything down using this little contraption. This is cool. Which, which is handy. was really handy. awesome. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so handy. <laughs> And uh, it actually powers Aggie down as well. So it's literally anything that runs on magic. And as soon as they're sort of 15 feet out of the anti-magic field, Aggie powers up again. They tried to have a discussion to figure out why this happened, why all the hands powered up. And Kidu does a perimeter sweep, but doesn't see anyone there. Can't see that anyone is sort of powering these things remotely. So they go to take a long rest and try and work it out once they've all sort of come back to full hit points, because they are still completely battered from the elemental battery fight. And as they head back to the house, this big golem lights up and says, Untested, Winthrop detected. Your first test will begin momentarily. And everyone freaks out because who is the untested Wingthrop? It's not Theracene because it's not her birthday yet. So they try to work out who it is. Everyone thinks it's Orin. Um, but then Theracene also says that it's not just Wingthrops who are born by blood into the family that have to be tested. That anyone who wants to marry into the Wingthrop family is also tested. So if anyone's betrothed to a Wingthrop, it might be them. At which point everyone looks at Gwen, who is mightily confused because she's betrothed to multiple people. (laughs) Including a dragon, we now know. Yeah. So they decide to try to essentially figure out the puzzle that the golem offers them, which is a north to south rotation will disclose designs. The password is inside. Construct from what is mine. And Orin quickly solves this puzzle. And because they've encountered Deacon, they find out that essentially the puzzle is telling them to make a compass that will point to the thing they need. So So it will point to a specific direction. And the materials that the golem is made from have come from where they need to go. So if they make the compass out of the golem, it will point them in the direction of where they need to go to find things. So they decide before they actually start trying to construct a compass in Theracene's workshop, um, which will involve melting down bits of the golem, they all take a long rest because they're knackered. During the long rest, a couple of notable things happen. (laughs) One of which is Gaia steals a bunch of stuff from Theracene's workshop. really sticky fingers. He really does. Yeah. And the funny thing is the geese follow him. Yeah. (laughs) And watch... And Aggie knows what's going on but can't communicate. Ruana knows what's going on and decides she won't communicate. Yeah. Uh, Gaius just hides basically big plates of gold inside the tea caddy. And was, if it, you... was it the sheets he buried? Oh, Did he bury yeah. the sheets and then he had like wands and stuff like that? Oh, yes. He put the wands in the caddy and he buried the gold That's sheets. It. Yeah. Yeah. Clever. Yeah. Good plan. Yeah. They have no money. Yeah. It's kind of clever. Yeah. But also yeah. kind of silly. <laughs> also super shady. Yeah. <laughs> so the geese and Gaius are now involved in a small amount of petty theft. <laughs> and uh, Gaius says if either of them tell, he's taken them down with him. And then Juna also asks Ginger about the Wingthrups. Ginger doesn't actually know anything, but she's going to investigate. And Kidu does a patron check. Mm-hmm. Uh, an internal charisma check, check and ends up talking to Alcibiades, which was a really fun conversation to listen to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now that Alcibiades didn't seem to have taken over Enkidu. 
So that happens. And then Juna makes waffles for breakfast. As you do. And that's where the episode ends. Yeah. Brilliant ending. <laughs> oh. So that was episode 31, a bit of a handful. Good recap. Yeah, very uh, good. Because there was a lot to, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, definitely. Anti-magic device. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. This is the one where there's a lot, you know, if they could get a design for that and take that with them going forwards. I mean, if they'd have had something like that down in the bunker, that would have been an absolute game changer. Yeah. But also, doesn't that have huge implications for if Therosene can do this and she's sort of like an apprentice wing thrower mm-hmm. and it's a 15 foot radius already and clearly quite powerful. Yeah. What kind of implications does it have for anti-magic constructions in, that are bigger? Yeah. They're going to have something like that around the outside of the workshop or something like that. Yeah. Which has huge implications for 50% yeah. or more of the party, mm-hmm. which is a real problem. I mean, I think Vicky like points out like Juna feels yeah, that this she's is not wrong happy about that. because everything yeah. about her is natural magic. And it's, sure. it's kind of what we talked about before, like Ruana and the Henge. There's probably a reason why Ruana would gravitate towards Juna is that they're natural magic and this is created... Because also, anti-magic field is a high-level spell. Yeah. So either that means the Therosene is a much higher level than she looks, you know, kind of like looking at her, mm. but is she able to, at this point, share this with the party, or will they mm. need to wait several levels into the future before they're actually able to create it? Or does this mean that this magic is now, high-level magic is accessible to everyone now, so long mm. as you have the coin? Or is it a slightly watered down version of that higher level magic? Could be. Is it, yeah. is it anti-magic field or anti-magic cone that's the high level spell? Ooh, that is a good question. <laughs> Hello, Google. Don't look at me. I think it might be, I think it might be anti-magic cone and that has, I think, a 90 foot range, Whoa. possibly. Ooh. So that's the super high level spell. Yeah. Whereas this is a small anti-magic field that has a 15 foot mm-hmm. radius still still useful though yeah and still incredibly worrying yeah yeah as you said sam having this type of thing available if you've got the coin i mean i'm getting bad consortium vibes from this i just yeah i i'm getting i'm getting this sense that should these people have this level of magic you know should it be accessible you know Considering that a lot of people within this world, they're very lucky if they learn things like prestidigitation or thaumaturgy or a cantrip or anything. Most people are, you know, common folk without any magic. But around here, everybody seems to have access to something, something. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, Sam, you were right. I found the spell. It's anti-magic field and it's a 10 foot radius sphere and it's a level eight spell. Yeah. Ooh. Level eight. How has she made a contraption that's a level eight spell? I mean, is it level eight? You, you have to be level fifteen as a character, I think, to access mm-hmm. level eight. It's fourteen or fifteen. It's around that area. Yeah. But she doesn't. She doesn't seem like a level fourteen character. No, and you have to be a cleric or a wizard or a, a one sorcerer subclass to be able to do it. Huh. So it's not really. I suppose it means there's been designs lying around that she's been studying all her life and picked up and can throw something together. I mean, it, you know, I have had this thought with Myra before that she is. She seems much higher level than yeah than most people would be. Than her years would suggest. Yeah, you know, because mm. she's she's young. She's younger than ten, isn't? nine nine um and yet she has so much magical knowledge Mm -hmm. to the point where you know in the previous episode she's talking with orin uh and actually for the first time being quite nice to him about his invisibility contraption you know the the light refracting device in her own way (laughs) i think she was about as nice as she's ever been yeah and then she talks about that like oh you didn't invent invisibility i'm sure that's been invented before but it, it kind of sounds like she is able to craft all these different things so maybe they do have access to ridiculously high-level spells Mm. at the age of nine. (laughs) (laughs) The moment when Enkidu comes out of the workshop and... Myra's like, did Oren ruin something again? And Enkidu's like, I choose to lie and say, no, actually, Oren fixed it. (laughs) (laughs) Did Oren break anything again? Yeah. Oh, God. She's not going to feed that rivalry. Are we going with Orin being the mystery Wingthrop, or do we have other ideas? I think, and I mean, David was very clever with this. It is very open at this point. It could be so many people. Mm -hmm. And I also have a theory that it could be none of them. Mm -hmm. Because they all walked past this statue before, and it didn't activate. Mm -hmm. It's only since the events in the workshop that this thing's been like, 
True. Untested Winthrop. Sure. So, you know, who knows if there is somebody... Is it just picking up the hands themselves? Or whoever is behind the hands, are they able to affect the golem Mm. in some way? Mm. That's one theory that I had. The obvious would be that it's it's Orin. That would be the one that would make the most Mm. sense. Yeah. David doesn't do obvious, though, does he? That's what I... That's got that little niggle in the back of my head. He's very subtle. And Enkidu asks a really clever question about do the Winthrops have any marks? Because Orin has a mark. Mm -hmm. So he has kind of put that together to think because the Winthrops have a crest yeah that lights up on the golem mm-hmm. it wouldn't be so far off that there might be something to do with that yeah mm. something to do with mm-hmm. Orin's mark so that I mean my my other little theory which there's nothing to suggest that this would be the case but I told Sam about it briefly as well was that given that everyone was in the courtyard, you had obviously the party and we had Myra standing at the doorway of the kitchen and Ferrisine standing at the door of the workshop. Is it just that it's adding up the ages of everybody wing thruppy anyway? And you've got Myra being nine oh. plus Ferrisine being 17 and it's not detecting two different people. It's just detecting the amount of wing thruppiness in that general area at the time and that's what set it off possible that was my other that's really cool yeah especially since both of them would be untested because that was the first time that both Mm. of them had been in the courtyard yeah we we also kind of discussed the idea of like maybe i mean you know they talk about if you are betrothed to somebody that it could be you so you know gwen's there Mm -hmm. um yeah and Dwayne had Dwayne had a an animal called winthrop Yep. He did, yeah. And she's still technically betrothed to Dwayne. He didn't break off the engagement. So, and also we don't know anything about Colin DeBarge. Exactly, there is the Colin DeBarge thing. I feel like we might be able to rule out Juna. Yep. Because she's got a whole different thing going on. Yeah. And she's like pure, Mm -hmm. pure magic. I don't think it makes... Plus, she's a gnome. I don't know whether that ties into anything. But it does, you know, Gaius, we don't know his backstory, yeah, really. Yeah, nobody's spoken about Gaius. Nope. Don't know a lot about him. And there's also, uh, we spoke about this again, uh, Pip, off yeah. air. Uh, we might have talked about the fact that, hello, Enkidu, uh, <laughs> who is not just himself, he also oh, has six, six personalities inside yeah, him. in his head. And like, you know, who are they betrothed to? Yeah. Yeah. It could go it anywhere, could couldn't it? That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> could just be Aggie. <laughs> I'm so excited to find out where the compass takes them mm. and how they do it. Because the party assume it's Orin because he has the artificer skills. Yeah. But like you guys say, it could be literally any of them. Mm-hmm. It's been tailored to Orin, like yeah. this experiment. But yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually him that's being tested. It could be that the whole party is to be tested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Or it could just be a rose thing. Like, it could be, oh, we've we've spotted a rose and they are another artificer family. And so the, the golem gets confused. We don't know what magic's been installed in this mm. thing. It could mm. just be like, oh, artificer blood. So <laughs> funny how Gwen finally decides she's not going to out herself as a rose in front of the oh, Winthrops. Yes. And instead calls her family the flower family and they're she's a family learning. of bakers. But she's already, <laughs> she's told Myra that she's a rose. Yep. So that's, that's not going to hold for very long. But then long. she's lied to Therese. She's lied to Yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you guys at this point, do you trust Therosine? Nobody's actually done an insight check on this girl. I, I feel mm, like this is true. she's had ample opportunity to kill them so far. How do we know that she hasn't already tried with a four army? Ooh. Yeah. I'd say I trust her like 60%. Yeah. I have at least 40% doubt. Basically most so of the So it's more than 50-50. Yeah. It's yeah. like a little bit more than 50-50. Like I'm not that split on her. Okay. But I have, I would say a healthy mistrust. Mm. Cool. So yeah, do we want to move on to what happens next? I can, yeah. Should I recap the, the final episode for today? Go on then. Yep. Oh, go on. Go on. So this is episode 32, Hand to Hand. We start up with Orin and Ankidu working together, trying to melt down a bit of the statue, because that's what they figured out is the first kind of step of building this compass. Enkidu manages to damage his shimitar on the statue, which Orin fixes again for him. Uh, they blowtorch a bit of the hand off and they've got that ready to use later. Meanwhile, Gwen's working out in the courtyard. Juna's finishing the waffles. Uh, Gaius has a, a cheeky poke around Ferrisine's bedroom, doesn't find anything of note. Orin sets to work on the first part of the compass, and as he does so, he's telling Juna about his gnome mentor called Eliwick the Quill, and he reveals that actually he just used to be called Orin Mirath before, and he's taken on this Eliwick's second name as a kind of homage to her. 
Uh, Gwen invites Enkidu to a sparring bout. Oh, God, Which is yes. amazing. We've been waiting for this for so long. <laughs> Gaius is watching from afar and he's kind of doing these bardic inspiration, bend the truth kind of duos and swapping who he gives it to and kind of interfering with their, with their bout. There are some really excellent exchanges. There's quite a lot of natural ones, I think, as well, I remember. Quite a lot of misses as well as anything else. Which I guess makes sense if they're sparring and they're not trying to hurt each other too badly to begin yeah. with. <laughs> it's a pretty close bout, actually, to start with. They're kind of exchanging blows and it feels fairly even. Enkidu realises he's getting a bit low on, on health. He's feeling a bit weak and he ends up casting blur on himself. And initially, Gwen obviously can't hit him because he's blurred. But she does manage to cast one or to land one final blow on his shoulder. Yeah, that's enough to knock him out of this bout. You know, we can we could chat about this bout in a minute. It's brilliant. <laughs> Gaius revives him. He casts Healing Word on him. Pours a bucket of cold water on him as well. Just for good measure. <laughs> Such like a Gaius thing to up. do as well. I know. <laughs> three rounds of I'm carrying the bucket. I drag it a bit. I lift it up. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. Back in the workshop, you've got Orin and Juna finishing off the body of the compass. And then Orin needs to engrave it using his calligrapher's supplies. And he just, just, just manages to get this with a little bit of extra guidance from, from Juna's cup of tea. The compass starts working and it starts to point kind of north, north, east. And the, the party gathered together in the kitchen to kind of show everybody and tell everyone that it's, it's finished and it's working. Just as, a, as an afterthought, they decide to check on the prosthetics again. Orin offers to fix the damaged ones and curiosity gets the better of him. <laughs> he decides to break it a little bit more, take it apart. And he notices rune markings on the inside of it, which look unfinished. So there's, a, there's like a gap where one of the runes would need to be added in in order to kind of finish this hand. And he's really confused because he's like, well, how did, they, how did they activate if they're not finished? He attempts to finish the markings himself. And as he does so, the other three limbs spring to life and make a bolt for the workshop door. End of episode uncontested as well yeah yeah they were I mean, super well, quick and out the I mean, door they, they tried but literally nobody succeeded nobody um, got there quick oh, enough did that they? was again <sighs> very yeah creepy good episode such a good episode so good the fight the bout that we'd all been waiting for i mean it's it's the precursor to um uh, the sexual tension yeah. oh in yeah the fight yeah, because they mentioned so this back high. in um in the Red House in episode, I think it's episode 23. Yeah. He's got those brass knuckles out and he's waiting in the living room, waiting for the arcanist to come and meet them when they're having their dinner and stuff. And he's practicing his moves with his brass knuckles out. And that's that's the first time that Gwen goes, oh, you know, if you ever want a, want a bit of practice, I don't mind sparring with you. So. And we only had to wait seven episodes <laughs> yeah, I know, right? uh, to, to get there, or eight episodes at this I point. I don't know, 20, 23 to 32, what's that, nine episodes? I just, I uh, a long time. so good. I was going to say, I thought that Gaius getting the bucket of water <laughs> was going to be to pour cold water over both of them because they were getting too into too it. Too feisty. Uh, but then yeah. I liked how it ended with him just reviving that poor Enkidu, knocked yeah, flat really on the ground. It was so good the way he was able to inspire both of them during this fight as well. Because it, it could have just been um, like, I punch Gwendolyn and then Gwendolyn's like, okay, I punch Enkidu mm. twice. But they put so much detail into what they were doing. You know, what was kind of fun was like, Grace was coming at it from like, a, okay, I don't have the training, mm-hmm. but like, this is what Gwendolyn would be doing in this bit she's yeah. putting it here and she was going over like raw power sure and then you had Daryl coming at it from like I've been trained the technicians we, yeah. we know that, that Daryl uh, has martial arts himself yeah you know, he's uh, probably very handy in a fight and the way that he was describing like okay I, I move my leg back and I take I dot this stance and parry her away it made it so much better to listen to than yeah. just these two yeah. characters fighting each mm-hmm. other there was yeah it's like you were saying about three dimensional the two different styles of fighting and how they clash together. It was a joy. It, I really yeah, enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Fight. It was so yep. great. It was so great. And I also love the fact that finally when he cast Blur, it was like, oh, you're getting the magic yeah. out, are you? Yeah. Okay. Because Gwen had been preserving her key points as well. She hadn't used them because it was just going to be some punching. Yeah. And then in order to keep himself in the game, poor Enkidu. <laughs> <laughs> being thoroughly thrashed by Quinn. But he kind of, he described it in a way that it was like, Enkidu again adopted this stance in this swaying movement and the magic activated, 
almost like that was a subconscious defense mm. mechanism not like yeah. okay i'm choosing in this moment to cast a damaging spell i'm going to cast hexblade curse on you yeah. no it was yeah i could imagine that being like okay you know my pokemon ding dongs are going on at the moment <laughs> very very low on health and this is just like a reactionary yeah. okay how do we stay in the game and it, it worked it did yeah almost like it was a fighting technique in itself mm. rather yeah. than a spell that he yeah. cast it was something that he'd learned as a fighter to duck and weave in such a way that he became a blur in order to survive rather yeah. Than, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly rather than like you say choosing from a list of spells and being like this will be effective let's use this yeah. <laughs> definitely I, I just I really enjoyed watching these or listening to these two go at it and hey. I hope that it's not the last time that they do that because you know they both have they both have two attacks it makes sense for them to be doing it i didn't yeah. realize that it does Warlock. make sense for them to be doing it you're right sam <laughs> <laughs> your mind get it out of the gutter young lady i i'm just saying what you said <laughs> <laughs> somebody get her a bucket of iced water oh, dear. <laughs> it's gonna happen <laughs> I'm still with Dwayne Delin Fabiorosa. Um. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm not even going to attempt to say it. You know what? She could be betrothed to three people. She can rack them up. Yeah. <laughs> She's not? unique. Just collect partners on the way. It'll be interesting to see how the dynamic between the two of them changes now that, you know, it's effectively kind of one nil to Gwen at this point, whether that's going to change, yeah, change how they treat each other, I guess. I wonder how Enkidu's going to handle that. I mean, gradually Enkidu's been sort of treating her a bit more like an equal or like, mm. you know, not being quite so disparaging to her recently. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out going forwards. I mean, she she's always been quite gloating over Enkidu and that whole like betterment thing that I feel like that relationship may not have changed but it will potentially spark a fire in Enkidu to be like okay well that's one nothing let's bring it back to one one yeah because mm. I have the experience and it was kind of that relationship that they have at the moment is that Enkidu has been trying to give Gwen a bit more of like fair play yeah. of like not constantly reprimanding her for the things that she's doing mm -hmm. and likewise she's not really been doing it with him as well yeah so hopefully this will become their way of getting that aggression that they have with each other out there yes to make space for what hannah would really like to see further down the line come on we're all thinking it <laughs> i mean they said episode 50 we're over halfway there exactly that's a good point exactly they better stick to that <laughs> 18 episodes guys i want to see romance <laughs> Also, Gwen has been very kind to Enkidu quite a lot of the time, and I can see her being quite gracious about this and not rubbing it in. Yeah. If she sees how, uh, if, if his pride is genuinely quite wounded, I think she'd be quite delicate about it. Yeah. Because she has been very kind to him when he has been in quite an emotional state. Yes. And really given him the benefit of the and doubt. And likewise in reverse as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he's been very kind to her when she's been quite vulnerable as well. So who knows if this will just strengthen their relationship going yeah, forward true. hopefully yeah also can we talk about these what is going on with the arms yeah i, th I feel like that was Where probably the, the main thing to take away from what this is episode. happening what is the what are these runes what are they powered by there's something going on and i just can't put my finger on it so th yeah very I, good I, I, I kind of spoke about this uh in the, the recap that we did earlier but the fact that it's it's half a rune that rune has been completed elsewhere. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So somebody else is in control of the other half of this rune. I don't know whether, you know, it's like a higher version of like a mage hand kind of spell, but some kind of like man with many arms mm. is, is what I'm thinking here, that there is another big bad that has control over these arms, potentially has control over all of the limbs of Myra's parents. There's some kind of like puppet master overseeing this whole thing that's going on. And also like, sounds like they're planning to sell these. So they're being shipped out to people as the new prosthetics. And it kind of mm. made me think... Literally building an army. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pun intended, I'm sure. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's just... It, it, they say that there, there's this thing going on with Lord Berrien, and I forget the name of the other contender for the throne, but that we know that Prevost. people are trying to... That's it. Trying to get these militia together, these armies. Is this another way of doing that? It's like, you know, take over a powerful, prominent family that already know that they deal with prosthetics mm -hmm. to ship these out all over the place. And then when the time comes, you've got an instant, like, 
I activate you, you come to life, you fight for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sleeper agents. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Really terrifying. And what is terrifying is that when Orin completed the other half of that rune, the other three activated. So there They're must be, like you say, like a central, I don't know, point at which someone is able to activate mm-hmm. these things in a way remotely. Just so creepy. I I do worry also, Orin having completed this compass successfully has just made himself a massive target to all the Wingthrups because if he wasn't supposed to complete it, and he has, he is now a huge target for whatever kind of creepy body swapping stuff is is going on. He's on their radar. He's now got his hands on something he wasn't supposed to have. And that's if we believe that this test is genuine. A genuine test. Rather than the whole party being set up to walk into some kind of a trap. Yeah, you never know. This compass could lead to the warrior. Yeah, is it even pointing to the workshop? Then kill Orin. <laughs> <laughs> is the warrior the one that has all of these hands? We don't know. <gasps> but yeah, it did make me think. They are hands, therefore they do not have eyes. Unless it's a much creepier image than I had in my head already. Uh, like eyes coming out of the knuckles. <laughs> Um, but does that mean are they aware like that clearly whoever's controlling them is aware that somebody's tried to hack into these things Mm -hmm. but are they aware who it is they seem to have spatial awareness as well because they seem to be directed in going for different party members in the fights yeah there's a level of sentience there isn't there yeah went for the throat like they all knew how to get out of the room Mm -hmm. but is that someone almost like scrying and being able to see what's happening remotely as they control these things or is this like an innate they have yeah like you say some sort of innate sentience that allows them to do that as a defense mechanism Mm. and did they run off the second time because they knew that they didn't get the better of the party the first time or because they were basically being given a signal to like get return home yeah. like a homing mm-hmm. beacon yeah in the hope that the party will follow them potentially Possibly. yeah i mean we'll we'll see when you know this next episode starts off because they do kind of mention at the end like can we give chase yeah and david's like well we'll get to that next week so i'm assuming there's going to be a bit like the ross tour where they're chasing slithering hands uh, around <laughs> this district of the late ward so it'd be interesting if they go back to the um the block building what's it called the hq mm-hmm. um the WCI? wci that's it yeah that's it yeah yeah whether they decide to slither back to there mm. yeah I, it, it opens up so many possibilities yeah. for what's going to happen next whether we're going to get answers to who is the untested winthrop yeah I don't think we're going to solve that immediately. I think that's going to be ongoing far, mystery far down the line. Mm-hmm. So many mystery threads are being left hanging. I'm finding it really frustrating in a brilliant way. I know. I need <laughs> I an episode a day, not an episode a week. I know. <laughs> sometimes two weeks. I oh. know. Uh, I need more. Oh, I've got to get over to Patreon and listen to Dwayne's backstory. Du- yeah, Dwayne's character David building. Jeremy's chat. I can always listen really to good. a bit more Jeremy. Yeah, really of course. Um, who wouldn't yeah. want to? Totally. Speaking of Patreon, that is something that anyone can join. There are all kinds of amazing things on offer, like this hour-long chat that Jeremy had with David that you actually get to hear behind the scenes. There are polls that go up that allow the fans to decide certain things about what will happen in the world or with potential things that the party discover. You get early access to episodes, which is so great. You get to join the Zoom for no small questions. Yeah. There are so many great things in this Patreon. I mean, there's subclasses now, like David's come up with the tracker subclass, all sorts of stuff always coming out. Yeah. And music as well. Yes. Oh yeah, you get the music. There's so many fantastic things. And for all of this, the tiers that you can join are so reasonable. And honestly, it is so worth it. I did it as soon as I could. I was so excited. They offer so much of this amazing podcast. And in supporting it, you really feel like you get to be part of the world. Mm -hmm. It's just so lovely. I would recommend everyone signing up to their Patreon. Yeah. (laughs) Plus you get to get, yeah, like you say, you get to come join me on No Small Questions. Uh, it's always yeah. nice to look out and see people, other people within the Zoom. You don't have to chat, yeah. but yeah. it's nice to be and you around. you actually ask your questions. Yeah. And we hang out in the audience. Yeah, yeah we, we do. do. We hang out afterwards Really good well. old chat afterwards, yeah. Chill yeah. with the cast afterwards. Really nice. But it does. It feels like, it feels like making friends. Oh, No small friends. No small friends. You guys can be the army, the, the, the twain tide. 
Um, <laughs> is what I start referring to everyone as. They are looking for yeah. names for uh, No Small Roles fans. And I think they're taking suggestions from fans. So if you've got an idea for what we should all be called, send in suggestions on the social media. You can chuck all these up on the uh, the Discord as well. There is now a Discord for No Small Roles yep. uh, with... And there are special secret channels on that Discord server for people who yes. have... Yeah, there's a Patreon exactly. locked one. So yeah. there's even more incentive. Oh, it's been so great chatting with you guys today. Oh, yeah, I you loved as well. It. So fun. I loved it. Do we have a favourite moment to sign off with? Oh, yeah. Favourite moment, I think, just because I'm a dragon obsessive, that Dwayne is also a dragon reveal. Nice. Mm. I think for me, it has to be the Gwenkidu fight. You know, it's been such a long time coming and it was done so... There was so much care put into that and so much detail that it was everything that I'd asked for and more. And now I'm asking more from them <laughs> to do it again. But yeah, for me, that was the culmination of an arc that they've had for themselves for a while now. Nice. Awesome. I think mine, just because I'm interested to see where it goes, is going to be uh, like anti-magic device. I'm really, really intrigued to see where that goes and really enjoyed how that kind of came about. Mm. And everyone's reaction to it as well was really interesting because, yeah, I think that could be an absolute game changer in episodes to come. Oh, massively. I can't wait to see how it pans out. Bring it on. So I guess that's our episode of Superfan Chats for now. Shall we do our sign off? I I think we should. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> Don't drink the milk. <laughs> I love it. Anon, everyone. Anon. Anon for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.